welcome all of our campuses. I want to welcome all those on the South Shore, Gulf Coast, online, those that are joining us, Facebook Live. And every week, I particularly want to welcome all the men and women in the Orleans Justice Center and St. Tammany Parish Jail. Come on, Little Creek. Can we welcome all those that are joining us? So excited to have you guys. We are in the fifth and final week of our series entitled Overwhelm. How many of y'all have enjoyed this series? Has it been a good series for you guys? Very, very excited about that. Six months ago, uh, I invited our guests who I'm going to introduce to you. Uh, but before I do that, Todd, this is Pastor Todd Mullins. Uh, his dad is, uh, we call him Coach Tom Mullins. And uh, you guys, he's been, he's been here probably two or three times. He's done every year he comes and preaches to our staff as well. Uh, does an amazing job. Uh, he's really like a spiritual dad to me. Uh, Todd says we're, we're brothers from another mother. That's right. Spiritually. And, uh, but, but, but Todd now, 10 years ago, took over that church from his dad. Uh, you, may, you wouldn't say this, but Christ Fellowship is the sixth largest attending church, 30,000 people, largest, sixth largest in America, 12, 10 or 12 camp, 10? 10. 10 campuses. You can speak prophetically, Yeah, though. I'm 12. speaking it, brother. Twins, Come somewhere, on. twins. Yeah. And uh, 30,000 people on a weekend called Christ Fellowship, and uh, he is suffering for Jesus in West Palm Beach, Florida. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Everybody go, aw. I mean, we're, we, we, but uh, why don't we, listen, why don't we stand up? Let's give a warm South Louisiana, come on, South Mississippi. Come on, let's give it up for Pastor Todd Love you, Mullins. Love so you, buddy. Yep. Love you so much. Good morning, church. Are we good? Yeah, you can be seated. It is, it is truly my honor to be here. I have been looking forward to this for months when Pastor Steve asked me to come and preach this weekend. And uh, we just love your church so much. Seriously, my dad is here so many times. I told Pastor Steve he ought to have to tithe, part of his tithe, to your church because he, he loves being down here with you guys. And we've had a great weekend so far. Just honored to be preaching the word and sharing, sharing the word together with you. We love your church. We love your, your pastors. They are some of the sweetest people on the planet. Every time I get around them, I feel loved, I feel encouraged, and you are blessed to be in this house. You know, there's no place like this place, anywhere near this place. So it's got, come on, let's give thanks to God for this house and your pastors. Um, I was with some, I told Steve this last night, I was with some pastors over in uh, Europe. We were meeting and planning for strategy for the church, and I told them that I was coming here on Labor Day weekend. They said, oh, we love Church of the King. We love Pastor Steve and Jennifer. Send them our love. So there you go. Send love from Europe. God bless you. All right, all right. Um, so it's good to be here, as Steve said, from West Palm Beach. I pastored there with my wife, Julie. I got a picture of our family here. This is uh, my wife, Julie, and our son, Jefferson. Uh, Julie and I are seventh grade uh, sweethearts right there. Come on. Hey, seventh grade girlfriend. Come on, somebody. Puppy love is real to a puppy. That's all I can say. You know what I'm saying? And we met in seventh grade in church youth group. Hey. So how many of you know... How many of you know it's good to find your spouse in the house? That's all I'm saying, right? They got to love Jesus, love God. So if you are single today and you need to get up and move, look around. If there's some better place for you, you are welcome to get up and move. But if you are married, sir, just keep your eyes right here. Do not look around in Jesus' name. Hey, um, can I pray for us as we jump into the Word today? Because what I have on my heart to share, I truly believe is way beyond anything I could share. And so I just need the... the, the 
power and blessing of the Holy Spirit as we dive into his word. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time to be in your house. And thank you that in this place you have things that you want to deposit in our soul. And so we are ready to receive from you today. We're ready to receive from your word. Give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I was praying several weeks ago about being with you, I was uh, I kept this one scripture kept coming to my heart and my mind, and as much as I tried to get away from it, I could not get away from it. And that's how I know the Holy Spirit saying, "This is something, Todd. I want to I want to speak to you through you to uh, the people you're going to be sharing with." And, and as I began to study and look into this passage of scripture, I discovered that this is the most highlighted scripture in the Bible according to Amazon and Kindle. You know, when you go in a Kindle book, ebook, and you highlight something, you mark it up. They know what you mark up, just so you know, just be prepared. And they have published a report, and this pastor scripture, it's not John 3.16, is actually the most highlighted scripture in the entire Bible, and it's found in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to the book of Philippians, and as you're turning there or turning your Bibles on to Philippians, um, did you know that Philippians is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi? which is a little city in the uh, current state of, of Greece, the country of Greece. And he was writing this letter as a thank you letter to the people. He said, I wanted to thank you for your offering and for the gift that you gave. See the, see, the people in Philippi, they were so, they wanted to help get the gospel out to people that had not heard of the love of Jesus that they gave this free will offering to, to the apostle Paul so he could carry the gospel to places that needed it. And so he is writing this letter as a thank you to these people for their offering. And it made me pause and reflect that, that we have this book in the Bible because some people of God got their hearts and their minds right about the issue of money and about giving and about, about being generous. In fact, I wonder if we would even have this book in Philippians if people had, had been holding on to what they had instead of just freely giving it uh, to God, you know what I'm saying? And so they got their, they got their hearts right. We may not even have the book of Philippians if they were being stingy with what they had. And, and by the way, my message today is not about money or about giving. Some of you are looking very concerned right now, like constipated. No, you can breathe. It's all good. <laughs> but how many of you know that your money can have a mission? Your money, when it is, when you, what God's given you, you connect it to the things of God. It outlasts you. It goes past you like it did with these people that invested in the Apostle Paul's ministry. Amen? We're talking about it today. So here it is, the most underlined, highlighted passage according to Amazon.com. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul says this, Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus, our Lord. All right? Notice what he says there. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Have you ever told somebody it's going to be okay? It's going to be okay. And you had no idea if it's going to be okay? Have you ever done that? If you're a parent, you have done that. You have lied to your kids. It's going to be okay. You don't know for sure if it's going to be okay, but you just, your job is to say it's going to be okay. I've done that. Our little son Jefferson, when he was little, was jumping on the bed of our bed, hit his face head first into the headboard, cut it wide open, bleeding all over the cell. He was freaking out. My wife Julie was freaking out. I'm holding his face together as we are running to the hospital, and I'm saying, it's going to be okay. I had no idea if it's going to be okay. You know what I'm saying? It's like when you're on an airplane and you hit turbulence, <laughs> and it's the bad kind, and you look, I look right at the flight attendant. Like, if they're okay, we're okay. 
if they're freaking out, I better start praying. I'm saying, like in my prayer language, I need to get to going on. You know what I'm saying? Julie, she somehow thinks that I, she, whenever we hit turbulence, she always looks over at me. She grabs my arm and she looks over at me. And I'm like, it's going to be okay. As if I have a degree in aviation technologies or something, right? <laughs> One time, she looked over at me and I went, oh, we're going to die. I only did that one time. That only worked one time. But sometimes you face situations where you're like, I don't know if it's going to be okay. Sometimes you go through things in your life or in your marriage or in your finances or something that you're facing, and you're like, it doesn't feel like it's going to be okay. And let me tell you, what you do in that moment matters. What you do when anxiety floods your heart and you're not sure which way is up, it matters. And one thing I know is that all of us, no matter who you are today, you're dealing with anxiety and stress. We all deal with it. You, little kid going to school, they're worried about, are they going to fit in? Do they have the right backpack, you know? Then you get into high school and you're like, will, will I ask, if I ask her out, will she say yes? And am I going to get into the college I want to get into, you know? And then you get into college. And you're like, am I ever going to get out of college, you know? <laughs> am I going to have a job when I get out of college? Am I going to have to pay for college? And then you get out of college and you get a job and it doesn't make you enough money, so you, got, you can't pay for it. You stress on money, or I thought I'd be married by now, or I thought we'd have kids by now, or I thought this by now. And there's all these stressors in life that stress me out just telling you what they might be. You know what I'm saying? And Paul says, be anxious about none of it. In fact, the World Health Survey did a report that I read this week. The published report that said, we as Americans are the most anxious people on the planet, and we spend billions, billions of dollars every year on antidepressant anxiety medications, billions of dollars. And then let me just say this, anxiety disorders are real, and um, there are many things that we need doctors care for. I mean, some of my family members are in doctor's care for this, so I'm not, I'm not a medical doctor. Please don't leave here today and say, Pastor Todd says, I don't need my meds. <laughs> Take your meds. It helps all of us, right? <laughs> it's all a good thing, right? Uh, but, but, this report said that 30% of people actually need to be under that medical care, but the rest of us, the other 70% of us, actually reported this that said, we can deal with our anxiety by changing our outlook and changing our habits. Changing our outlook, the way we see the problem, and changing our habits, what we do when we are faced with it. Now, we all deal with it. It could be money problems, could be financial problems, could be relationship problems could be something that you've not talked to anybody about that swells up inside of you. Everybody is dealing, dealing with that. In fact, even people that you think shouldn't be anxious about things, they deal with anxiety too. Recently, um, two NBA basketball players just came out talking about how anxiety is controlling their life. Kevin Love and uh, DeMar DeRozan, they both just came out saying, man, anxiety is controlling us. We've got panic attacks in fact, Instagram, um, Sports Center posted this on Instagram. It was DeMar's quote. He said, people say, what are you depressed about? You can buy anything you want. And he says, I wish everyone in the world was rich so they would realize money isn't everything. Everybody is dealing with something. Everybody has to deal with anxiety, but you do not have to be destroyed by it. What you do matters. And so the Apostle Paul says in that verse, look at that, be anxious about Nothing, nothing, no thing. Be anxious about no thing. Uh, no thing should rob your joy. No thing should steal your peace. No thing should keep you up at night and churn your stomach. No, no thing. You say, Tyler, well, you don't know what I'm going through. Nothing, nothing. You, you don't know what's happening in my fa family. Nothing. Be anxious about 
Nothing. You, you don't know what's going on with my kids or, or in my home. You don't know what's going on at my job. Todd, I might be anxious. Paul says about nothing. And it was Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, who of you by worrying can add one single hour to your life? You can't. Worrying doesn't add. It only takes away. Worrying robs you of peace. Worrying robs you of joy. It steals what God wants to give you. Worrying is the great robber. And so Paul, in this passage, he's not just giving us bumper sticker theology. He's not just like, hey, man, don't worry. Be happy. That's not what he's saying. He's not like, it's going to be okay. He's not just saying that. He's, he's actually giving us the antidote to anxiety. He's giving us a script. He actually says, if you take worry and turn it into a prayer, God will give you peace. Take worry. So you've already, you've already got you already got the topic. You already know what you're, take that worry, and as soon as it comes up and you're like, oh, take that and turn it into prayer. God, I'm worried about my son, so today I'm going to pray for my son. I pray that you would speak peace and life over him and that you guide him and guard him and watch over every step he takes and keep his heart set on. See, I take that worry, and I turn it into a prayer, and God says, I'll give you peace. See, some of us in this room today are dealing with some things in our home we're dealing with some things with our children. We're dealing with some things in life that are just overwhelming. And we need more than just, you know, the power of positive thinking. A three-day weekend, woo. No, we need the antidote for anxiety. And the definition of antidote is this. Look what it says. Antidote is a remedy or treatment to counteract the effects of poison. Some of us have been poisoned by anxiety. It's, what, it's, it's the last thing you think of at night when you're trying to fall asleep. That problem, oh, you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind goes, oh, what, what is going to happen? What if, they, what if they say, what if they do this? What if they don't do this? What if this, what? And we've been poisoned by, by this. And so Paul says, here's the antidote. Let me read it again. Be anxious for nothing, but in, what's that word? Every, everything. You know, in the Greek, that means everything. <laughs> by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He gives us three weapons to combat anxiety in this passage. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Prayer, first thing. Prayer, first thing. Just having a conversation with God. Don't make it more complex than it is. When I call Pastor Steve, I have a conversation with Pastor Steve. When you call God, you can have a conversation with God. It's prayer. Some people get all like, am I supposed to use certain words with God? Or maybe you haven't prayed that much, and so you're like, I'm not really sure how I'm supposed to pray. Do I need to come up with a speech? No. In all my years of being a dad, my son Jefferson has never prepared a speech to come talk to me. Usually it's, hey, dad, come here. Hey, dad, I need you. Hey, dad, I need some money. That's usually what it is. You know what I'm saying? I need something. And, and Paul's saying we can go to God that way in prayer. God, I need you. God, I'm, I need some help right now. I need your peace right now. I need, I need a direction right now. I don't know what to do right now. You call out to God like that. See, it was Jesus who taught us how to pray. He said, pray like this. He says, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And the significance of that passage is that word Father. See, it's not a formal our Father. It's actually the word in the original language is Abba which means daddy, which is the way a young, small child would call out for its father. Daddy, daddy. 
And you've got to understand, for the, for the Jewish people, this was a whole new idea because they had never viewed God that way. They, they had only seen God from a distance. I mean, you, one priest went before God behind the curtain one time a year with a rope tied to his leg that they could pull him out in case he died. I mean, that was kind of the relationship. And Jesus says, no, you come to God as daddy. You can run to him as a child with your arms wide open, and he'll, he'll pick you up. And we, we've... We've lost the whole meaning of that passage because we learned it in the King James Version. You know, our Father, which art in heaven. We, don't even, we always hollow it. Don't even know what that means, right? We lost the point. Jesus said it's about Abba. You run to Daddy. And some of us have a hard time with that concept, maybe because you didn't have a good relationship with your dad or maybe because your dad wasn't there for you and it's hard for you to, to see God as a, as a spiritual dad that is there for you. Don't put that on God. God is an ever-present, always with you, never going to walk out on you, never going to leave you, always going to show up kind of dad. That's who he is. The ultimate helicopter kind of dad. That's who he is. You need, oh, yeah, there he is. I'm here. I got you. I got an island. Neither slumbers nor sleeps. And so Paul says, as soon as anxiety or worry floods your heart, the first thing you do is prayer. I put this in your notes. Prayer needs to be our first response, not our last resort. When, when worry comes up, prayer's got to be your first response, not the last resort. I hear people say, well, all we can do now is pray. <laughs> well, what are you waiting on, man? Why don't you start with prayer? As soon as it comes up, go to prayer. As soon as worry comes in, go to prayer, man. God can do more in seconds than men can do in centuries. Tweet that. Okay, sorry. God's got you. Okay, that's prayer. The second tool of the weapon that Paul gives us in this antidote to anxiety is supplication. That word in the original language actually goes a little bit deeper. It is an anguishing prayer. It is a deep cry, oh God, on my face before God, I am desperate for you kind of prayer. I mean, oh God, I need that kind of prayer, which you can't do at the office because they'll think you're passing a kidney stone. I mean, they'll be like, what's going on? That's weird, right? So you got to get in your prayer closet for that. You're going to go get alone with God for that kind of prayer, that kind of time with God where you are just going to say, God, I'm, I'm desperate for you. I'm, I'm holding on to you, that kind of prayer. Some of you have not supplicated much lately. I wonder how much of what weighs us down isn't even ours to carry. I wonder how much of what is on us even in this moment right now, God is like, I don't even want you to carry that. You're not even created or designed to carry that. You just got to get that to me. So here's what happens. When you get into the presence of God, you get into the presence of peace. Because peace is not just something that God has. It's who he is. Jesus is the prince of peace. He is the ruler of peace. He is the giver of peace. And when you get into his presence, you get what is on him, what he has for you, it gets on you in prayer and supplication. What that does is just it carries you into the presence of God. And you get what you need when you're in the presence of God. Even today, because you are here, you are getting what you need because you are in the presence of God. God is doing a work on you because you said, I got to get into the house of God. I need more of you, God. Prayer, supplication. And the third thing Paul brings up here is uh, thanksgiving. And I believe that this is one of the most important weapons in battling anxiety is thanksgiving. And that's more than just having an attitude of gratitude. 
It is actually opening your mouth and saying, God, I am thankful for what you've done. I am going to count my blessings. I'm going to name them one by one. And every time that you take the time to count and remember the good things of God, let me tell you, it changes your perspective. Because now you're not just looking at your problem. You're looking at your problem in light of your provider and your promise and the hope and everything God's done. And all of a sudden, your problem gets a little bit smaller. You can be walking through a valley. And, and it can be a deep valley, but if you go, wait a minute, God, I remember the last time you brought me out of a valley. I remember five months ago when I thought I was going under, and there you were. And two years ago, I remember that, that dark season I had to walk, and you brought me through that. So you know what? I believe you're going to do it again. You're going to get me out of this valley. What did David say in Psalm 23? He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. I'm here to tell somebody God's with you. He's, he's got you right in the palm of his hand. You might be in a valley that feels dark. It may be something that's trying to hold you down. Listen, if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death today, just keep walking. Don't stop. Don't settle in, man. Just get out. Just keep moving. It didn't say even though I walk to the valley. It says even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Your valley is not your finale. Mm, come on, somebody. Your valley is not the end. It is not your finale. And I love that David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I walk, I walk. He's like, he wasn't running. He wasn't sprinting through the valley. Like, I'd be like, I'm getting out of here, God. He was like, with a little bit of like, mm-hmm, even though I'm walking through this valley, he had a little confidence. I call it Godfidence. He, was so, he wasn't confident in himself. He was confident in his God who would never leave him and who would never forsake him. And so he's saying, even though I walk through this valley, God, I know you are with me. And I'm here to tell somebody that is walking through a valley today, God is not going to leave you. God is not going to forsake you. He hasn't failed yet. He ain't going to fail with you. He's going to bring you through. Your valley is not your finale. Turn and tell somebody next to you, your valley is not your finale. Would you do that? They need to hear it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it may feel like death. It may look like death, but it is only a shadow. And wherever there is a shadow, there has to be some light. A shadow cannot happen without some light. So don't focus on the shadow. Focus on the light. You are my light and my hope and my salvation. Whom shall I fear in Jesus' name? I'm going to change my perspective because I'm going to start rattling off all the good things of God. And when I start thanking God, what I'm doing is I'm changing the channel. Instead of focusing on what could happen, oh, oh, God, if they do that or if this happens or, oh, if they don't come, oh, uh, I'm going to turn the channel and I'm going to start looking at the things God has done. I believe he moved a mountain and I believe he's going to do it again. Uh, yeah, you moved that mountain for me and you have never failed me and you came through for my family that time and you provided that last time I needed something and you're going to do it again. And all of a sudden my faith is built up and I'm ready to go and you know what? Then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, verse 7, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Here's what I know. This is in that verse 7 that it says the peace of God. It doesn't say a peace. It says the peace of God. It comes from God. It's not a peace you get from going to the spa. It's not a peace you get from going to play golf. It's not a peace you get from having a three-day weekend. It is a peace that comes from God. It belongs to God. And when he gives you his peace, nothing can take his peace away. 
because it is not anchored to your circumstances. It is anchored to the person of Jesus Christ. And then when you get that, man, it can't be gone. No matter what happens to you, God, the Prince of Peace, Jesus is walking with you into school this week, walking with you through your work week, walking with you right into the storm that you're in. He goes, I got you. I will protect you. And an emotion cannot protect you, but a person can protect you. The person of Jesus is with you, protecting you. Guarding, it says, guarding your hearts and your minds. Guarding. you got to be guarded because you have a real enemy. You know that? Jesus said in John 10.10 10, that we have, a, we have a, an enemy that robs, kills, and destroys. Right? And he says, I've come to give you life and life abundantly, but you have an enemy that wants to destroy you and take away your joy and your peace. Now, don't blame everything on the devil. Have you been around people, they blame everything on the devil? Like, every, everything's the devil fighting. Oh, it's just the devil fighting, devil fighting. Pastor Todd, would you pray for me? The devil's fighting me. I ran out of gas this week outside of the road. No, I am not going to pray for you. You just need to get some gas, buddy. That's all you need to do. I'm not, just plan ahead a little better, right? Or, oh, Pastor Todd, pray for me in school. I just started back, and I'm, I already failed my first test. And, oh, the devil's, no, the devil's not fighting you. Turn off Netflix, study a little bit harder in Jesus' name. And all the parents said, amen. Okay, good. But... Don't get me wrong, you do have an enemy, and he does want to destroy you. That's why we need the peace of God to guard our hearts and our minds. Peter said that our enemy is like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour, and he will use anxiety to try to devour our peace. Look at this verse in, from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and uh, 6 and 7 and 8. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he can lift you back up exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So be sober-minded and watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I learned something as I was studying this verse the last couple weeks that I had never seen in all my time of studying this verse, preaching out of this verse. I'd always seen it kind of segmented. There's the humble yourself, there's the cast your care, there's the roaring lion piece, but really in the original language, it's all one continuous thought. It's, it all goes together. So the whole part here about casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you, that's not a standalone promise. It's actually tied to the rest of this verse. I've heard people, and I've even done it myself, claim all sorts of promises of God without understanding uh, the prerequisite to the promise. Have you ever heard someone do that? Where they said, you know, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, my Lord. Woo, glory to God, right? Or someone who said, you know, God says, I will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing on you that you cannot even contain it, pour it out, God, without realizing that both of those verses and promises are actually connected to generosity and giving. So I cannot expect... God to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus my Lord if I'm not a generous person. Just read Philippians 4 at the very end. I can't expect, you can't expect uh, God to pour out, open the floodgates of the windows of heaven and pour so much out in you that you cannot contain it if you're not tithing because that verse in Malachi, that promise, is directly uh, predicated upon the obedience of tithing and putting God first in your finances. And in the same way, the ability to cast your cares on God it's connected to something. It's not a standalone. Let's read this passage again. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, the command 
isn't to cast your care. The command in this passage is to humble yourself. And the result of humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God is that you then go, so I'll cast all my cares on God. See, I believe that so much of the anxiety that we face today, not all of it, but so much of it, has to do that we think we've got to make it work. I got to make it work. I got to make it happen. I, I got to get it done. I got to, I got to, I got to solve my problems. I got to figure out what's next. I got, and if I don't know what I'm going to do, I, 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 eyes right in the middle of all my problems, right? I'm right there. Everywhere I look, there I am. And humbling ourselves is getting to the point where we say, God, I don't know what to do. And you are God and I am not. And so I will trust you. I will believe that you know what's best for me. I will believe that you can move the mountain. I will trust you to take care of this situation and that you will bring me through this valley. And so I'm going to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. And I love that it was Peter that was giving this, this instruction. Because if there's anybody in the Bible that I can relate to, it's, it's Peter, right? Peter's like a type A, driven, get it done, speaks his mind, cuts off the ear, deal with it later kind of guy, right? That's Peter. Now, Peter, much older, much wiser, having experienced so much more of, of God, tells us that we have to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that we can cast our cares on him. And Peter had seen what the mighty hand of God could do. Peter was there that day on the mountainside when, when the mighty hand of God took a little happy meal and broke up these five loaves and two small fish and fed thousands of people with this little sack lunch. He saw it happen. He saw it go from not enough to more than enough. Twelve basketfuls left over more than enough. He saw it with, with his own eyes. He saw the, the mighty hand of God reach down in the, in the dirt and, and make some mud and rub it on the eyes of a blind man. And the blind man could see he saw it it was the mighty hand of God that, that reached out for Peter when he was on the sea of Galilee drowning completely down and out and Jesus reached out and picked him up and put his feet on solid ground see the mighty hand of God can do way more than you and I could ever do the mighty hand of God can provide way better for you than you can ever provide for you the mighty hand of God can move mountains better than you or I could ever do it and the mighty hand of God can get you out of whatever you've been in and whatever you got yourself into and get your feet back on solid ground but for it to happen you got to get you out of the way because I know that if Peter had tried to save himself that day on the Sea of Galilee, the story would have had a different ending. You know what I'm saying? The blind man would have still been blind. Two people could have eaten that little sack lunch. You know what I'm saying? But the mighty hand of God can do so much more if we just will trust the And I'm telling you today, I, I think the reason God had me come share this word with you is because I need it so much. I like to fix things. I like to solve things. I like to get it done. In fact, um, my son, Jefferson, when he was much younger, was diagnosed with uh, some disorders and some speech delays and kind of like on the autism spectrum, kind of, and, and as a fix-it kind of guy, man, all I wanted to do was fix, fix it, I to solve it. And through the years, we've been on a great long journey, but we found out that that diagnosis was not a description of Jefferson, but it was a prescription of what we needed to do. And so we worked like it all was up to us, and we prayed like it was all up to God. And I'm here to tell you today that every time I tried to get in and try to fix it and solve it and make him better, and I just messed things up. 
But when I would humble myself and say, God, there's absolutely nothing I can do except trust you. And that's the best thing I can do is trust you. So I'm not going to worry about his future. I'm not going to worry about what you're going to do down the road. I'm going to trust you today, and I'm going to trust you for tomorrow because I see that you are in his tomorrow. You are waiting there for him, and you love him more than I love him, and I love him a lot. And that, that would give me a peace that would pass all understanding that as a dad who likes to fix things, who couldn't fix it, God did more than I could ever do. And I'm here to tell you today, a little good report, he's doing great, university, straight A's, playing guitar, got a job, getting engaged. I mean, God is working it all so much better. You can trust the mighty hand of God. Let me wrap it up with this right here. It's important to note in this passage that Peter ties this whole enemy, roaring lion who wants to devour you directly to anxiety. It's all one thought he's talking about here, right? This, these anxieties that you've got to cast is because you've got a roaring lion. I believe that anxiety and fear and worry are the number one tool that the enemy uses against the children of God. Number one tool. Because if he, can, if he can paralyze you with fear and worry and anxiety, you will not step out in faith. You will shrink back. You will not live with a sense of confidence that God is for me, that God is with me, that I am a child of God. I am called by God. I am loved by God. I'm anointed and appointed. You'll just shrink back and hold back. And the devil doesn't want you to do that. So he will plague you with worry and anxiety. And here's what I know. We all have to deal with it, but you don't have to be destroyed by it. We all are going to face worry, but worry does not need to have the last word. We can speak a different word over worry and watch worry walk out the door in Jesus' name. Amen? So let me, let me challenge you with two things. Here's my challenge for us as we wrap up today. When worry starts to flood your heart and mind later today, maybe even before you get out of the parking lot, maybe trying to get out of the parking lot, it's going to be, oh. What I want you to do first, I want you to open your mouth and turn to God. Open your mouth, and you will open your mouth. That's not a problem. You, we, do, we do that well. But turn to God. That's the prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, right? Make prayer your first response, not your last resort, right? And I believe that as you do that, you're going to get tuned into God. You're going to start thinking. Remember, take the worry, turn it to a prayer. God gives you peace. Turn to God. The second thing that I want to encourage you to do is to share your problems and turn to godly friends, some of you have been dealing with some worry and anxiety that you have been trying to pray, and you haven't gotten a breakthrough yet. And, I, and it's time for you to actually turn to, notice I said godly friends, because you don't need to tell everybody your problems. You tell some people your problems, and they're going to be like, oh, whew, stinks to be you, buddy. You know, <laughs> Good luck with that one. I don't know. You're up a creek. That's, what they, that's all they're going to say. You need to turn to godly friends. They're going to declare the word of God. They're going to echo God's voice over your life, over your situation. They're going to pray for you when you don't know how to pray for yourself. They're going to be, that's what this whole, this weekend is small group weekend. Some of you need to change your, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You need to get some godly friends around your life that will speak the word of life over you, that will help you be who God has created and destined you to be. In fact, you cannot live the right life with the wrong friends. It's impossible. So get in the right groups. Find the peace that God's got for you in Jesus' name. Amen? Now, don't get it wrong. Turn to God first. Most of your problems will be solved right there. And the second is you turn to those godly friends. I want to pray for you. Two prayers as we close at all of our locations today. I want to pray that the peace of God would flood your heart and your mind in a real way this week, that you would sense him in a tangible way walking with you. But for, also, I want to pray for those of you that need peace with God. Because you can never have the peace of God until you have peace with God. And the only way that you will ever experience peace with God 
is you have to make your heart right with God. And you've got to accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you personally. You have to say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I invite you into my life. And when he comes in, he is the Prince of Peace. He comes in with peace and joy and hope, and he fills up every empty space. But nobody can pray that prayer for you. You can't grow up in that. You have to personally say, I need what you did on the cross for me. And when you do that, he comes in and makes all things right. And so let me pray those two prayers for us. Let's pray together today. God, thank you for this time that we've had in your word to teach us and instruct us in how we're to respond to anxiety and worry. With every head bowed, if you're here today and you would say, Todd, this message was for me because there's some stuff that, I'm, that anxiety has been trying to attack me with. And, and would you pray for me to have an extra dose of God's uh, peace over my life this week? If that's you at all our locations, would you just lift your hand up and say, Todd, this is for me. I, I'm dealing with something. Would you remember me? Yeah, all over. Hold it up high. Don't be ashamed. You're saying, God, I need your peace. I, I need the peace of God to flood my heart today. Lord Jesus, you see these hands that are raised all across our rooms today. Lord, I pray you would flood them with your peace and your presence with the Prince of Peace, would you walk into their life with power and grace this week. May they sense you in a real powerful way, I pray, as they reach out for you. You can put your hands back down as we continue to pray. If you're here today and you would say, Todd, I don't know that I really have peace with God. I don't know that I really have a relationship with Jesus like you're talking about. My friend, all you have to do is just Follow me in this prayer, this simple prayer that says, Jesus, I want everything you have for me. I want you to step into my life and be the Lord over my life. And my friend, he comes in and the Bible says he makes all things new and he fills you up with hope and peace and joy. And if you want that today, or maybe you've had a relationship with God, but you know today it's not where it needs to be. Today's the day to get that right with God. If you would say, Todd, include me in this last prayer, right where you're seated, would you just extend your hand up and say, Todd, this prayer's for me. Yeah, hold it up high. Don't be ashamed. All across the room, all of our campuses, up in the balcony, hold it up high. Yes. Okay, we're going to pray this out loud. You keep your hands up as we pray it, because this is your prayer before God. This is your testimony. But we're all going to pray it out loud. Just say this. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me just the way I am. But I don't want to stay just the way I am. Forgive me of all my sin. Come into my life. Fill me with your peace, your presence, and your purpose. And I will follow you the best I know how for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.